Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. we saw, and as you can verify when you look up into the sky tonight, there's objects out there and there's space. That's basically what the world consists of. And the two dimensions are within you. And humans have become lost in one. So we are here to realize that dimension. It cannot be realized in the future. It cannot be made into an object of a search because it's here now. moment you're looking for it, you create a future. Now what is future? It's a thought form. Apart from that, there is no future except as a thought form. cannot come except as now. So it's now the arising of space consciousness or the realization of space consciousness is here now. For example, it happens when you acknowledge not only the words that you hear. Acknowledge simply means pay attention. Notice. Just as noticing here, there are two dimensions just the same as when you look up into the sky at night, you will find there are two dimensions. There are the words here and there's a silent space or stillness. in which the words happen.
Hello, everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Eckhart Tolle guiding us and reminding us to be very present because a lot of times when we're not very present, we either are becoming slaves of our past or slaves of a future that's just not ready to emerge. So hope you've enjoyed centering and focusing your day on what's really important so you can catch the right thoughts to bring those dreams and those visions to light. There's so much opportunity for us right now to step into our game of um, being better and offering more to our own lives and to our collective humanity. And we also have a lot of opportunities to be distracted, distracted to, um, you know, deception and illusion and paraphernalias of things that aren't really the sustaining healthy versions for the soul, for the body, for the mind, and for our collective humanity. If I'm going through something, you better believe somebody else is going through it too. We're not alone in this. But if we can just find that space to be able to catch the thoughts And as we bring those thoughts into action, they show the fruition of what we've been thinking. So we'll get a thought and it it creates what it needs to create right here and then. And by being in that vortex of people, we meet other people and we take these moments of solitude or silence and we get another thought. And that thought ripples into something else. And people manifest situations, circumstances, growth, business, loss, letting go holding on and then we grab another thought and that thought anchors us and then we move into another form of ourselves if we're doing it this way it's natural it's healthy it's real if somehow the thoughts that we keep catching are thoughts that are from the past and they seem to be holding us back and we do find ourselves in a comfort of feeling afraid uncertain unclear frustrated, angry, powerless, well, that's the past. And we're still not catching the right thoughts. So we're definitely not present in order to move our narratives forward. But today, our very special guest, Seth Goldman, has been an individual who seems to be in the now catching the thoughts to keep furthering the story because he's looking at the future of food, which revolves around all of our lives. Seth Goldman is joined Beyond Meat, a plant-based protein company that's based in El Segundo, California. As executive chair and as a member of the board of directions in 2013, Seth is also currently the TEO Emeritus and Innovation Catalyst for Coca-Cola's companies, Venturing and Emerging Brands, and he co-founded Honest Tea, Inc., a bottled organic tea company. I remember when that came out. I used to love it which was later sold to Coca-Cola, and he previously served as Honest Tea's president and TEO. But in 2015, he was named the number one disruptor by Beverage World and Beverage Executive of the Year by Beverage Industry Magazine. He has also been recognized as Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year in the Washington, D.C.'s Business Hall of Fame. And he is Henry Crown Fellow of the Aspen Institute. In 2018, Partnership for a Healthy America recognized Seth with his Visionary CEO Award. He serves on the advisory board of Ripple Foods, a dairy-free plant-based milk company, and the Yale School of Management, the American Beverage Association, and Bethesda Green and Local Sustainability. Today, I am so excited 
to be welcoming Seth Goldman to America Meditating Radio. Seth, thank you so much for joining us on air. I love what you're doing so much. You have no <laughs> idea. You. you should see me dancing with my seven-yard-long <laughs> white sari. I'm like, yay, you know, I want to see the shine. No, food oh, is so thank important. You so much. I mean, you've it chosen is. a path that's like an uphill journey. It's like salmon <laughs> swimming uphill to get to that peaceful yeah. ground. Wow. But it's, it's, it's such important work, just as you said. And it is the most direct and tangible way we interact with the earth. And we do it every mm-hmm. day. So right. we just have to find a more sustainable way, not just for planet but for ourselves and for each other and you know that the food system we've created is one that's based on um, a short-sightedness it's not based on compassion in any way of course when you talk about billions of animals being slaughtered and so um, we have to find a different way to interact with our fellow residents on this planet and uh, it's really the only way we're going to be able to continue as a species I don't know if I have the answer for this, but, you know, corporate profits just spearheads the way of moral righteousness. And when it comes on to the food industry, we have witnessed this firsthand. Mm -hmm. And I have questioned, Seth, some of the diseases that's plaguing our country from cancer go right down. But I feel like it has to do with the food that's entering our system and no one's addressing it. But I, I actually believe, and I think you know, the businesses I've been involved with prove it, you don't have to sacrifice profit to create a more yeah. compassionate and enlightened food system. It, it, it can be done. And, and that you know, consumers do want to be nourished, but they also want to do it in a way that is nourishing to the planet. I, I don't think, look, if you, everyone needs to have food to survive. That's a fact. Everybody right. needs a certain amount of nutrition, and everybody, I think, has the right to crave delicious food. That's, you know, we can't tell people, it's certainly not a, a theory of change that's going to work to say, eat, don't eat what you love, you know, and, and make all these sacrifices. It's just not how humans are built. And so we have to find, when we can find delicious foods that, that interact with the planet in a different way, I do believe consumers seek them out and, and reward them. And that's certainly this, you know, it's a story of honest tea and our drink, honest kids. And I believe that's what's happening with Beyond Meat as well. Yes, I agree with you. So tell us a little bit about Seth and his <laughs> his emerging narrative to mm. bring more more consciousness, especially where food and the way yeah. we can live is concerned. Like, what got you on this journey? Mm. I think it started with my parents. They were both professors, and not of uh, food. They were professors of history and of economics. But every dinner conversation was thinking about the way the world works and and what's important and leading a life of purpose. And so that was ingrained in me early on. And then I'm very fortunate to have met um, a a woman who's now my wife named Julie Farkas, who totally shared that sense of both urgency and a commitment to social justice. And so we have always liked to think we've always done work that we believe in. We've always done work that does seek to, as we say, bend the arc of the moral universe toward justice. And we're, we're especially fortunate that we have three sons who share that commitment. So um, I was just in Paris last week with my eldest son, and uh, we were on a stage together. And I said, normally when a father is on stage with his son, it's safe to assume that the son is following in the father's footsteps. 
But in fact, I really feel like I'm following in my son's footsteps because our son Jonah was the one who convinced our family to become vegetarian. He's the one who started asking difficult questions that we really had to, uh, you know, he wasn't going to let us just let that question lie. And so, and all our sons, I think for me, are my inspiration. So I feel very fortunate to live in a, in a family and a, a micro community that supports this kind of work. And, and I do love, you know, creative challenges. And so I like whether it's designing a label or a name or an ingredient or finding a way to have a community become a partner as opposed to just a supplier. And mm-hmm. um, that's something I've brought to all of the work I've done. So how does the inspiration actually enter you? Um, <laughs> has there been, no, yeah. really, you know, because yeah. for me, my inspirations come generally between three and five o'clock in the morning. And I've yeah. often found myself going, can't you come like at 12 noon? Why do I have to be <laughs> yeah. up at this time oh, that's to funny. get the clarity? Well, but it yeah. does happen for me. Like, what are you doing to get these touchings that seem yeah. so futuristic? I think it's really important to listen and to listen to mm. everything, to listen to, to your gut, to your own body, to listen to what people are saying. And I'll just give you a few examples. So literally, uh, honesty, we started because we were thirsty. And looking for a drink that wasn't so sweet and everything was so sweet and realized, wait, we can't be the only people who feel this way. And, and so that was just like, you know, becoming thirsty and saying, okay, I can, I can find a solution. And then one of the most successful innovations from Honest Tea was a drink called Honest Kids. And I launched that because uh, our middle son was um, very, he was very proud of Honest Tea and he liked to bring an Honest Tea bottle to lunch with him. But, uh, you know, the bottle's heavy and it was glass and uh, he was was a little guy, so he wasn't drinking at all. And he said to me one day, Dad, how come you give me honest tea and I can't finish it? And then if you don't give me honest tea, you give me these juice pouches that are really sweet. Why aren't you giving me like an honest kid's drink in a pouch? And I'm like, wow, Wow. that's a big idea. (laughs) So that was it. And then, you know, my involvement with Beyond Meat, that happened because, our family's been vegetarian for 14 years, but we, we were always happy with the decision from an ethical perspective, but always a little dissatisfied from a culinary perspective. And then one day my wife read an article about a company getting started out in California that was seeking to replicate the taste and texture of meat, but using only plants. And we said, wait, that's an idea with a big opportunity. And in this case, you know, so I was hungry and I listened to that hunger and I sent an email to info at beyondmeat.com and said, I love this vision, and if there's a way I can help, I would love to help. And I'm very fortunate that the, the founder and uh, CEO was eager for, for some help, and uh, we've been partners ever since. Wow. Now, I have an unusual question, only because I'm allergic to garlic and onions. Are some of mm. the uh, ingredients I know, so now you're going to have to create a Beyond Meat product. No, no. So actually, that's a very relevant question, not just because of your allergy, but because Buddhists, are not allowed yes. to eat. They, one of their laws is to not eat garlic and onions, and so we have formulated our products to be Buddha-friendly. And so oh, they wonderful. are grown and made without garlic and onions. Initially, we did have it in there, and then when we realized we were missing an important part of an audience, we were able to formulate around it and leave the garlic and onions out and of the onions. Yeah. Well, you know, what I replace garlic with is um, an old Ayurvedic Indian spice. It's called hing or asafoetida. Do you know about that? I haven't heard of that one, no. So asafoetida 
or short term, it's called hing, H-I-N-G. That's what we use, like we'll put it on bread for garlic bread or we'll put it in the seasoning. Mm. And that has helped to still bring forth, sometimes people do like the garlic flavor, but it doesn't have the same astringent qualities with it. And, you know, it has helped me to at least compensate for the taste and, and the food. I heard that Burger King now has a Beyond Meat burger. Did you all have anything oh, to do with that? No. Oh, my no, God. Has, no, they have the Impossible Burger, so that's a different <laughs> one. Okay. <laughs> but we are, where Beyond Meat is working with, uh, we're in Duncan, uh, we're in Duncan around the country. We are doing a okay. test with McDonald's in Canada, and we just launched a test with Kentucky Fried Chicken here in the wow. United States. And then... We're also in uh, Subway in Canada, so um, we are getting lots of opportunities. One of the key values we have both at Honest Tea and Beyond Meat is to democratize these foods. We're we're not trying to make these foods just for the healthy and wealthy. We want these available for everybody. And so these chains become really important partners. Now, did you run into any challenges with the FDA, you know, getting all of this approved and moving forward? Because it's because it's such a political, you know, think tank, and yeah. <laughs> if they feel like it's not bringing in the money or someone's not getting it under the table, mm-hmm. did you all run into some challenges? You know, so far we've been okay. We did have some state level initiatives by, like, the Cattlemen's Association that tried to constrain what we call our product. Uh, and from our point Excellent. of view, you know, look, this is a plant-based burger, and so we were successful in overcoming those objections. Uh, but I don't want to suggest that we're done with that because I do think anytime you um, threaten an established interest that has uh, deep pockets, Indeed. they are going to use, yeah. use their resources to try to protect themselves. And so th- that's, uh, that's going to be an ongoing issue. And, and I think what I'm excited about, the reason I feel good about our prospects is because we have the consumer on our side. We have the consumer wanting this product. And I have found over my more than 20 years in the food business, anytime a business tries to tell a consumer what he or she can or cannot have, it's usually not a good thing for the, for the industry. And so don't, you know, I would never encourage somebody to try to constrain a consumer's options. Indeed, indeed. Now, the board of directors and everyone must be extremely psyched about the direction of Beyond the Meat. I mean, your stocks keep up. <laughs> I mean, what's the secret? Is it really people are really demanding this? Seth, really? Yeah, this yeah. is amazing. So I won't, I won't comment on the stock because that's a, that's a whole kettle of uh, <laughs> whatever I don't want to get into. But we're, what we're really excited about is the way the business is growing. I mean, I've been in the food business, as I said, for more than 20 years, but I've never seen food business grow so quickly. And it's not just Beyond Meat. It's a whole category. You know, if you think right. about it, two years ago, there was no plant-based protein in the meat section of the grocery store. And today, if you go to any major chain, that is now something they have. And so it's right in line with hamburger and chicken breast. And, and so that makes it a, a mainstream option. And then the other thing, you know, two years ago, you would never have seen these large chains trying out these types of products. And now every major chain is looking at this. And that's just a very exciting moment. Uh, and frankly, a very hopeful moment. I, as you know, there are certainly reasons to be concerned in this world. But there are also, you know, I'd say glimpses of hope, and, and I certainly think about what, how innovation and entrepreneurship can create those opportunities for us to change direction, and, and that's obviously what I'm... Good. I'd like to add, it's not a glimpse of hope. It's like a spotlight yeah. of 
hope because Good. we Thank really you. need it more Thank and you. more. I hope the products are in the vegetable section, or do we find it in the supermarkets next to the it's, meat? Yeah, we really want to be in the meat section, and, I'll, and I know that's a little counterintuitive, but let me explain why. Please. The uh, percentage of the percentage of the population that is vegan or vegetarian is less than five percent. And uh, look, I love those people. I'm one of them myself as my family. <laughs> but if we really want to move the needle, if we really want to change the direction our diet, our national diet is, we have to be available to the 95% of people who do currently buy animal meat. And so what we've seen, and we're, we're in, as I said, the largest change in the country, when we look at the shopping cart of someone buying Beyond Meat, we found that over 90% of those consumers also have meat, animal meat uh-huh. in their shopping cart. And that for us was such an exciting discovery because it meant we weren't just reaching the vegans and vegetarians. We were going beyond that. We're reaching a group of people that's emerging, which we call the flexitarian. And, and so if we're really serious about change, we have to be, we have to recognize that's the group of people that's going to move the needle. And, and I will say there are several stores that carry our product in both places, or you can go to someone in the grocery section and say, I don't want to go to the meat section, but I do want some Beyond Burgers. Would you mind going into the back and bringing some out to me? And they will do that. So they hear that request. I I had a funny conversation um, over the weekend with a woman um, with her daughter. The daughter said, your product is too meat-like for me. I'm a vegan. I don't like tasting something that's too meat-like. And I said, you should don't do anything to change your behavior or your diet. But I'm sorry, our product isn't for you. Um, we, have to, we, have, we have to make this product, you know, appealing to the meat eater, and, and that's what we're trying to do. You know, that's really smart, and I actually live that because my journey of spirituality isn't about hanging with folks who are all lighting incense and wearing tie-dye mm-hmm. outfits. I'm with the folks who don't want it and incense. I'm with the folks who yeah. like, forget that tie-dye. Can you tell me? you know, how does this benefit me? So that's absolutely brilliant. So for our listeners, Seth, who might be wanting to learn a little bit more about plant-based foods and burgers, could you share with us how is it actually done? I mean, how does this get formulated into an actual burger? Or Yeah, so it's a fascinating question because for literally, you know, not just centuries but millennia, humans have defined meat as protein from an animal. And that is certainly one way to answer the question, what is meat? It's protein from an animal. But actually, there's another way to answer that question. And what it really is, is how do we define meat by its composition? So what I mean by that is meat is really just an assembly of amino acids that form the proteins. It's lipids that form the fats. It's some trace minerals and and carbohydrates. And then it's 70% water. And all of those components exist in the plant kingdom. In fact, by definition, they have to be in the plant kingdom because what animal meat is, you know, the, is an animal who, who eats plants and uses its digestive and skeletal system to convert those plants into what we now call meat. And so Beyond Meat asks the question, well, what if we leave the animal out of it? What if we take the plants and we can extract the protein just like the animal does and we can connect the, the proteins and the fats together just like the muscle in, in the body And then, so instead of using the animal, we use a series of heating and cooling and pressure. In fact, it's just the same machine that's used to make pasta. So it's it's not a, there's nothing magical there. Uh, But the outcome is very close to meat and it can be nutritionally the same. It can have, we can avoid certain things like cholesterol or we can cut back on saturated fat. Uh, And so 
what's so exciting about that is if you were to start a, a new society and you said with, with, with 7 billion people, you say, okay, we've got to feed everybody in this society. You would never say, well, let's grow billions of animals that take 99% more water, 93% more land than this plant-based process. So we um, basically have created our meat industry almost, you know, just as part of our evolution. But now that we are, have the knowledge and, and skills and abilities, we can actually reinvent it in a different way. And that's what's been so fun. That's fantastic. I love hearing that. It's interesting because as I look on your website, which is beautiful, by the way, all the food looks so scrumptious. Do you have a favorite? (laughs) Oh, it's hard, you know, because we've been, you know, we can be creative now. And this is what's been so fun. As I said, my family was dissatisfied with the veggie burger options. And so we had sort of, you know, lost our creativity. And now we can make chili and we can make actually beyond meatloaf and we can make tacos and uh, the sausage we is wonderful for breakfast so uh, we really do like all of it yeah so that's a good answer and it's a safe answer so now what you've done (laughs) is inspired us all to try each one just in case there are a number of companies which i'm sure you've noticed and they are also starting to produce a lot of plant-based products what sets them beyond meat apart from the others First of all, I think it's a good thing that there's more and more people coming to this because it, it's, uh, that's how you make a movement, right? It can't just be one, one entity, and, and we need others to challenge us and, and to be creative. We were the first to launch this plant-based product that, that replicates the taste and texture so powerfully, and so we're carried in, as I said, all the grocery stores, or almost all of them, and as well as now around the world. I just found out this was so fun. I was uh, you know, in Europe where we've launched Beyond Meat, but at, while I was there, somebody told me that they found Beyond Meat in Antarctica. So now it means we're in wow. every continent. <laughs> I, I, I was that. usually saying we're in every continent except Antarctica, but we're in Antarctica. So, and I think the key is, look, there's other companies that are doing this that are, that are meat companies that are trying to diversify. And, and as I said, that's not a bad thing. But there's very few companies, if any, that are putting the same level of resources and attention and passion into this as Beyond Meat. We are exclusively and only focused on creating meat from plants. And so other companies, you know, will work on creating meat from plants on Monday, and then maybe they'll go work on baby food on Tuesday, and then they'll go work on, (laughs) you know, a pork uh, bacon product the next day. We're only focused on this, and it just means we are committed to it. We are uh, in it for the long haul, and uh, the team is just so wonderful and so passionate about it. And, you know, it's interesting. A lot of our people are scientists uh, by definition because they're, you know, and they were more research scientists. So, you know, they would work in a lab. And as one of the scientists said, you know, I might spend a year and the product I would create is a paper and maybe 10 to 15 people might read it. Now I can work for a year on making a color, you know, taking beets and finding a way for beets to transform when they're heated. And we put those beets into the burger and millions of people benefit wow. from it and get to enjoy it. And so it, it just gives these scientists a different level of satisfaction to take on these challenges, and and it's wonderful to see. Fantastic. So getting the plants, and um, can you help to educate me? What's been the process, for example, if I want to fill the soup? My parents, back in the day in the Caribbean, we used to supply 80% of the, well, 75% of the supermarkets with all the oranges in all of of the supermarkets Mm. in the country. 
So we mm. used to go to the groves, and we had a lot of property, and then my parents and whatever, they mm-hmm. would fill the trucks. The trucks would yeah. come with the oranges. They would unfold the oranges, bag them, and then deliver them to the supermarkets. Yeah. When you're looking for the plants, how does that yeah. process actually emerge for you? Yeah. Is that, a, is that sure. a fair question? Absolutely. Absolutely. We want to be as transparent as we can be. These are all products from the earth. There's no GMO you know, process going on. And, and our core ingredient is peas. And the reason we use mm. peas is because it's one of the few crops that's been scaled around the world. So we grow the peas and we, the peas are about 70% starch and about 30% protein. And so we have to split out just using a water-soluble process. Is this green peas? Actually, it's yellow. It's Canadian yellow peas okay. is the, okay. the way you would describe it. And the pea, by the way, peas are grown in just about every climate. They're grown in the delta of the United States up through the Dakotas. And uh, they're grown, of course, in Europe as well. And so we start with peas and we separate out the protein. And then we run the protein through that machine I call the extruder, which uses pressure and heat and cooling to create a texture to the, mm. to the peas. And that's where the, they take on a more um, complex and chewable and interesting texture. And then, and then we work with flavoring to help neutralize some of the off notes of, of peas because peas on their own taste like peas. So we create a little mm-hmm. more of a neutral flavor. And then we add uh, beets and other vegetal um, ingredients that can help transform color and then we also add some spices and, uh, to help create a delicious taste. And then we form it into patties just like you would a hamburger or a sausage. Beautiful. Love it. So a majority of the people into plant-based meat or beyond meat or what have you, have you found that a lot of them are vegans or vegetarians or both? Well, what's, what's so wonderful is that most of the people buying this product are what I would call flexitarians. So, yes. Vegetarians right. and vegans love it, and we're, as I said, we love those customers. But what's made this business so exciting is that it is gone way beyond just uh, uh, beyond the vegans, and so that for us is exciting. Fantastic. So, what do you see as the future of food and the food industry? Well, I think we're just at the very beginning of seeing this transformation. Mm-hmm. And so, with respect to plant-based protein, um, there's lots more growth ahead. You know, a good. A good proxy for what we think can happen in the meat industry is what happened in the dairy industry. If you go to the dairy aisle today, about 13% milks are going to be plant-based milks. And 20 years ago, it was all cow-based milk. So that's a transformation that's happened in our lifetimes. And I believe that certainly over the next 10 years, a significant portion of the meat category will be captured by plant-based meat. And so this will be a fun thing to see happen in our lifetimes. And I, if I were to really go out there, I would venture to say by the time, let me say by the time my grandchildren grow up, <laughs> their parents and say, did your, did your parents really grow up in an era when main staple of their diet was heart, you know, raising and harvesting billions of, of sentient creatures, creatures which are just yeah. as you know, sentient as the cats and dogs that we led in our homes. And, and that was that's how they lived, and they'll find it hard to believe that that was uh, the staple of our diets. Yeah, how interesting. There's a virus going around in China, and mm-hmm. they're blaming mm-hmm. it as well on the diet of the culture. Do you believe that? Mm. I actually don't know. I, I do know that you can go back in history. Actually, it's very interesting that book John, Guns, and Germs, and Steel tells a story of the fact that we live so close to animals actually both killed millions of people, but also because it's, you know, spread these viruses, but it also helped us to develop some 
resistance to them. So yeah. I don't know the exact cause of it. I do believe that there's a lot of health challenges that is created by a such a uh, animal-based diet. And, and some of them are, for example, uh, resistance to antibiotics. So if we're yeah. feeding animals antibiotics, you know, but when we eat those animals, we're taking that into our bodies. And it just means that antibiotics are becoming less effective for our own health. So I think yeah. there's a lot of health challenges created by the livestock industry and, and you know, obviously unintentional, but um, we're starting to see them. Of course, the other real danger is, is the global warming that we're seeing. You know, um, there's a statistic yeah. that 14.5% of all greenhouse gases are attributable to the livestock industry. And so when mm-hmm. we see fires and floods and droughts, these are all outcomes that are you know, accelerated by the livestock industry. So there's no question it poses a risk to planetary health. Indeed. I was with Ariana Huffington a few years ago, and she was launching when she was the CEO of HuffPost. And she was launching it in India, and just a few of us were there together. And something had come up about how in the East they're becoming more, quote-unquote, westernized. In the West we're becoming more Mm -hmm. easternized, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. India, Seth, which you know, was the only country at one point where 75 to 80 percent of the population were vegetarians, and now mm. that's changing. They're, that's changing, and now they're indulging in meat and you know like fish and chicken and all of that. Yeah. Uh, any yeah. thoughts you've ever seen about that shift? Here we are now in the West <laughs> going. I want something beyond meat. I want to save the planet. Yeah. And in yeah. India now, people are like, give me the chickens. Send me your chickens. Send me your yeah. this. And that's, well, that is part of the rising economic expectations. But fact is uh-huh. that our planet, there aren't enough of our planets to feed 7 billion, let alone 10 billion people on a livestock diet. And so uh, one of the reasons Bill Gates invested in Beyond Meat early on was because he saw we could have the opportunity to actually help some of these countries leapfrog the meat industry. Yes. And rather, you know, for example, you, you don't see telephone poles in Bangladesh. They went right to cellulite. And what if we could skip the whole livestock industry in Bangladesh and just, you know, as long as you give somebody something that's delicious and works well in, the, in their diet, as I, said, I don't think people have an innate need to kill animals to meet their dietary purpose. They have, a, as I said, a nutritional imperative. They have to get the nutrients they need to grow and live. They have the right to, to look for delicious food. But if you can do that without killing an animal, I don't think anybody feels like, oh, I've got to kill an animal uh, in order to, to make it a real food. Seth, you know, your conversation with me is really triggering a lot of emotions and feelings because I'm very empathetic about just the well-being of our own collective humanity and seeing where it's going with, you know, Beyond Meat and all these other products. It does it does turn up my volume of hopefulness. Um, okay. I would love, I know you're local. I would love for us to continue our dialogue at the Meditation Museum. I think there is a need, especially for communities that need information on the benefits of a diet such as this. Because even I, I mean, I'm not vegan, my producer is. And she'll always be like, Sister Jenna, you know what, I'm going to get you into becoming a vegan and it kills me. You know, and I'm like, I'm lactose intolerant, but please don't let me give up my pizza. so am I. (laughs) You know, and what happens is just it's a behavior. We're so used to it being so easily accessible that we sometimes don't think for ourselves. So if you were to leave us with a main message for our incredible audience on the show, 
what would you tell us to inspire us to be a little bit more healthier in the choices of the food yeah. that we make? I, I've got a fun one. This is what my son came up with. So you're familiar with the phrase, of course, um, that's attributed to God. He didn't actually say it, but be the change you wish to see in the world. Mm-hmm. That's a phrase that's mm-hmm. become quite popularized. My son has launched this new restaurant in Silver Spring. Their motto is eat the change. And the mm-hmm. point is that every time you uh, choose what to eat, you have the opportunity to make a conscious choice. And more than any other thing you do, as, a, you know, as we said, elections only happen every two or four years. You only buy a, a car every six years, um, but you eat every day, often three times a day. And so every time you eat, you have the chance to uh, move things uh, in, a, in a little bit of a more hopeful direction. It doesn't have to be everything, and it certainly doesn't have to be every meal. But I encourage all of your listeners to be more mindful and to think every day when they get to the end of the day or the beginning of the day, what could I do today in my diet to make it a little closer to the kind of world I want to live in? Perfect. Leave us with a website that our listeners can get more information on you. And I have to come and see you. I have to come yes, and see you because you're local. i got to yeah, come and see so you. The, the website is beyondmeat.com. And I'll throw in a, a mention of the restaurant my son has launched, which is plntburger.com. So plant burger or planet burger or plenty burger, but plntburger.com. And he's got this restaurant in Silver Spring. It's inside the Whole Foods, and they've launched a plant-based restaurant there that um, has been really fun to see grow. Oh, I love that. Well, congratulations. And it seems like your son is your moneymaker. Oh, <laughs> he comes my, up with all, all the good son. ideas. All of my sons inspire me, and my wife too. They're all they're all part of the what makes you know me so hopeful about the world. You you seem to be very blessed, and we're very happy for you. All the very best, and thank you so much for joining us on air today. Thank you, Sister Jenna. All the best to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Wasn't that amazing, everyone? I'm ready to go try. You've got to go on their website, beyondmeat.com, and look at some of the products that are being offered. And again, something in many of us is being called to contribute a little bit more to the well-being of our society because we've got to leave behind a legacy in which the youths can say, you know, this was good. But right now when I talk to many youths, they're sort of like, why why bother? What are you guys doing? You know, you're messing up the planet. You know, you're taking everything for yourselves. You're not leaving anything for us. But here, there's a legacy. There's something being left behind to sustain our planet. And since the planet in itself is an energy, and energy never dies, but it does enter into different forms. You don't want to be living on a planet that doesn't give you anything back, but it's still existing. It's sort of like um, spending your time with somebody, unfortunately, that's in a coma. The relationship isn't full. So whatever you can do, even if you do Meatless Monday, or even if you're at the market and you do see a product by Beyond Meat or whatever, give it a try. Even if you're still indulging in meat, give it a try. You won't know until you've experienced it to make that shift. You just won't know. We need to save this earth. We need to save our lives. We need to save our little four-legged creatures. (laughs) Hope you've enjoyed our conversation today with Seth Goldman, really a wonderful guy, and looking forward to continuing our relationship. I love what he's doing, and his energy definitely speaks to the truthful way that he's living. Um, Remember, no one 
can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. So can we do that a little bit more? And don't forget to pause for a moment of silence every hour and hour so we can restore peace and wellness on the earth and inside of ourselves. I'll end today's show with Coming in the Light by Bliss. You take care of yourselves, everyone, and be well. Sister Jenna, you've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. 
I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.